0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Can our minds heal from psychological trauma, just like our bodies heal from physical trauma? If so, how could that take place? And are there treatments available that might be something that could heal some of the concerns that people may have and not require Continue treatment or possibly even help them with zero side effects? Well, today we're going to be talking about eye desensitization therapy. And this is going to be a, a book that a wonderful author has written, Every Memory Deserves Respect. I have Dr. Deborah Korn on the line. She has stayed up late to join us this evening. And she's here to explain what eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is and why this particular type of therapy might just help a lot of folks who don't even realize that some of the situations that they're incurring today actually date back to something they might have experienced many years ago that still affects them even now. Thank you, Dr. Korn, for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you, Kathy. Thank you for
0: having me. Now, I have to say, this is a fascinating book. I've really enjoyed reading it. You worked with a co-author, Michael Baldwin, and kind of went through his story of what happened for him and how this particular type of therapy really helped him to heal some of the issues that he had experienced in life. One of the things that your book talks about is that a lot of what people experience now May have roots in tra- trauma that they might have had years gone by. What exactly do you mean by that? Mm-hmm.
1: So maybe we should start by defining what we mean by trauma, and then add in, you know, what what is it that leads people to have symptoms long after a trauma may have happened. Um, trauma is a part of life. of adults have experienced at least one significant trauma in their lives. Most have experienced more than one trauma. And in our book, we define trauma as any experience that feels overwhelming, triggers strong negative emotions like shame or terror or grief, and involves a sense of powerlessness or intense vulnerability. And I always like to say that trauma is both objective and subjective. Um, It's both the event and the experience of the event. So no two people are going to have the same experience. No two people are gonna experience the same event in the same way. What might be traumatic for one person may not be traumatic for another person. But we do know that the greater the number of traumas that someone is exposed to, the greater the psychological and the physical toll. We also know that trauma is cumulative, meaning the more traumatic experiences you have, the more vulnerable you are to becoming symptomatic. We also know that trauma is developmentally bound, which means that children, children and adolescents are more vulnerable to the effects of trauma exposure um, than adults, because developmentally, they're somehow um, less equipped to deal with big things that happen. But when, when we uh, talk about trauma, it's important to differentiate traumatic experiences or circumstances from normal circumstances in terms of how we process these kinds of experiences. Because we, we regularly process non-traumatic experiences every day without difficulty, right? We go to a party, we see our friends, we eat good food, and we go home that night and we reflect on the experience. Maybe we have a dream about it, we talk to our partner about it, but we process it through and put it up on a shelf. And it's over. It's in the past. But when we're exposed to an overwhelming experience, a traumatic experience, that traumatic experience seems to get frozen or locked in our nervous system. And it gets frozen with a constellation of images and feelings and sensations and thoughts. And the brain's information processing system is unable to digest the experience. And other information held elsewhere in memory doesn't get connected in, doesn't get integrated to help a person make sense of the event. When you get triggered and a traumatic memory gets activated or woken up days later, weeks later, or even years later, the past becomes the present. People lose their adult, present-day grounding and perspective And those components of the memory, the feelings, sensations, images, thoughts, and beliefs get stirred up and manifest as symptoms, so to speak. And very often, people wind up in such overwhelming distress from these activated, unprocessed memories that they wind up turning to things like drinking or drugs or self-injury or avoidance or numbing out or dissociation as a way to tolerate or numb out or cope with the distress and pain.
0: So what might be an, an example of the type of trauma that maybe you have had patients come in and describe to you that fits mm-hmm. these criteria? Yeah.
1: Well, when we talk about the types of trauma, we typically talk about big T trauma and little t trauma. The big T traumas are events that Most anyone would consider traumatic what we call like shock traumas, right, where the person perceives a potential threat to their survival or the survival of loved ones. So here we're talking about childhood sexual, physical or emotional abuse, a rape or a physical assault, the traumatic death or murder of a loved one, combat-related trauma, accidents, medical trauma, um, devastation related to an environmental disaster um, witnessing violence, when we talk about little t trauma, we're talking about experiences that people might not necessarily recognize as traumatic or events that might not necessarily meet the diagnostic criteria for a so-called trauma. So here we're talking about exposure to criticism, covert bullying, experiences of betrayal, um Experiences involving humiliation or failure or aloneness, uh, subtle mic- microaggressions as well as blatant discrimination or hostility related to race or ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation. Um, you know, Examples of little-t traumas in adulthood might be a divorce, losing a job, a difficult move, the discovery of a partner's affair, Examples in childhood of little T, um, maybe feeling ignored or different, unable to measure up, or powerless to control the craziness or the chaos in your family. And maybe the last thing I'd say about the types of trauma is it's important to recognize that trauma involves both omission and commission, right? When we're talking about acts of commission, we're talking about Things that happen to you, right? That sexual, physical, emotional abuse or an assault, it happens to you, it's committed against you. When we talk about acts of omission, we're talking about situations where things were supposed to happen but didn't, situations where someone was not properly uh, protected, listened to, cared for or valued, right, experiences of Uh, neglect or deprivation, abandonment, alienation, discrimination. Um, So it's important to talk about types of trauma in that way as well.
0: Well, and that sort of brings about what I would imagine is some of the more covert types of situations that someone may not recognize, they might have experienced when they were younger, Mm -hmm. but it truly affects them to this day. You've talked about the fact that children and adolescents may be more susceptible due to the development process in their brain, that they may experience some of these things and freeze it away and not necessarily think it affects them on their daily activities. But in fact, it might actually be the reason why they behave in certain ways or why they might have difficulties in relationships or holding down a job or staying close with their family. So it sounds like you know, there are big traumas that a lot of us would recognize and these are things that all of us would know, but I almost feel like the more insidious problem are the little traumas.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right and I actually uh even though in our book we talk about big T and little t traumas and that's common language in the field of trauma treatment, I I take a bit of an issue with this idea of calling it little t trauma or small t trauma because it's sometimes the accumulation of those smaller experiences, those everyday traumatic experiences or adverse experiences that can really take their toll on someone's psyche. And there's, it's so easy to miss or to discount the impact of these smaller, uh, less um, loud traumas in someone's life.
0: I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Deborah Korn. She is a psychologist who has almost three decades of practice in the field of EMDR. We're going to describe what that is and how that particular type of therapy Can really help people whether they're experiencing major traumas or even some of these smaller traumas that we're talking about that may not feel that small. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have author and psychologist and expert Dr. Deborah Korn on the line, and we're talking about the way that all of us might experience trauma in our lives and how that could affect how we are dealing with other issues in our regular everyday lives and how that might have a direct connection and effect for us. Now, right before the break, we were talking about different types of trauma that although they might be considered, quote, little trauma or big trauma that in fact it can have the same major effects on people as time goes on. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about the types of things that might happen often in childhood or in young adulthood that might affect how somebody is able to handle things as they grow older and move into adulthood. What do you think are some of the ways that people have have identified that the, they have issues they need to address? How might someone who mm-hmm. says, you know, I might have been bullied as a child or I feel like my parents weren't giving me the support that I needed, what sort of manifestation might they have now that would make them even look back to those areas and say, hey, I think I, think I have something to work on?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, there are are a number of things that I hear most often from people coming for treatment. I hear things like, I just wasn't feeling or acting like myself. I was really sensitive and reactive to things going on around me, things that had never bothered me before, sounds and smells and things that people would say to me, things on TV and things in the news. Um, I found myself alternating between feeling really agitated and wound up and feeling really shut down, numb, and even dead inside. Uh, I hear people say things like, I never knew when I was going to get triggered or hijacked, right? Hijacked meaning overwhelmed by fear or panic or despair. And often people report turning to certain behaviors, as I mentioned earlier, to try to escape or numb the pain, drinking or drugs or self-injury like cutting, um, avoidance, eating, isolating. Um, when, we, when we talk about PTSD, we typically talk about three cus- clusters of symptoms um, associated with disorder. We talk about re-experiencing or what we call intrusive symptoms, so that involves having nightmares or flashbacks of certain events, certain experiences, a sense of panic or helplessness, a sense that um, someone's reliving the traumatic experience over and over again, overreacting in response to situations that are connected to their trauma in some way. That would be the first symptom of PTSD. The second are what we call the avoidance or constriction symptoms. So that's when people avoid anything and everything that might remind them in some way of what they experienced at the time of a trauma. And it's also um, the experience of numbing or shutting down, shutting out Um, so as not to re-experience over and over again. And then the third um, cluster is what we call the hyperarousal symptoms. So that's when people are very hypervigilant, very jumpy. They have sleep difficulties. They're agitated. They have startle reactions to loud noises or to people coming up behind them. And then, you know, when people are – those are the kinds of symptoms that people experience when they've been uh, exposed to like a single trauma or a couple of traumas, Um, but when people have had exposure to trauma that is prolonged or repetitive or long-lasting, where there's like no escape, right? Trauma that's typically interpersonal or intimate in nature at the hands of family members or intimate partners or known caregivers. So here we're, again, talking about childhood sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, um, sex trafficking, prolonged domestic violence, neglect and deprivation, separation from caregivers. When this is the case, in addition to their PTSD symptoms, the ones that I just mentioned, trauma survivors also experience severe and pervasive problems with emotions, with what we call affect regulation. They have problems with anger or depression, struggles with substance abuse, self-injury, suicidal feelings. Again, these efforts to try to regulate their feelings, to get their feelings under control when they feel completely overwhelming. They also struggle with long-term negative self-esteem, right? The sense of I'm not good enough, I'm bad, I'm defective, I'm unlovable. And then finally, they struggle with difficulty sustaining relationships and feeling close to other people. And so there's all kinds of difficulties that we see in that domain in terms of trust and the ability to relax and feel safe in relationships.
0: So with all of that potential on how it's affecting someone, either with, you mentioned affect regulation or looking at their own ability to have self-respect or how they engage in relationships Mm -hmm. with others. Mm -hmm. One of the types of treatment that you've developed and helped to master the the efficacy of, and you've even written a book about, is EMDR. What exactly is that? And you've been doing this now for almost three decades. So, I mean, I think (laughs) you've probably seen it over time really develop and flourish as a treatment option.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, let me just break down the name to start. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a, it's a, an earful. One of the reasons why we named the book Every Memory Deserves Respect is we wanted a way for people to remember Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, EMDR. And so Every Memory Deserves Respect stands for EMDR, When we talk about desensitization, we're talking about the reduction of distress or fear or anxiety. When we talk about reprocessing, we're talking about the reevaluation or the restructuring of thoughts and beliefs and kind of the transformation of one's sense of self relative to past traumatic experiences. We're working to move the past into the past, to put it up on the shelf and leave it there. And then when it comes to the eye movement, component. Uh, Francine Shapiro, the developer of EMDR, accidentally discovered that purposely moving your eyes horizontally back and forth, while focusing on a traumatic memory, leads to a reduction in the vividness and the emotional intensity of the memory. She developed a a whole protocol, an effective protocol for treating PTSD and trauma-related problems using this bilateral or back and forth eye movement Stimulation, and she published the very first research study on this approach in 1989. She worked with rape survivors and Vietnam combat vets. So, hence the name eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Now, EMDR is a memory focused psychotherapy that helps people deal with the impact and the legacy of trauma and adverse experiences in their lives. It's based on the idea that psychological problems are related to a failure to adequately process traumatic experiences and memories to process them to some kind of resolution so unprocessed traumatic memories frozen or locked in our nervous system continue to affect how we perceive things decisions we make reactions we have uh, the beliefs we hold about ourselves and others and present-day triggers activate these unprocessed traumatic memories leading to symptoms that cause ongoing distress and In EMDR therapy, we help clients access and activate their unprocessed traumatic memories with a set of focused questions, and then we jumpstart the brain's information processing system using bilateral stimulation. And with EMDR reprocessing, a client's distress eventually decreases, and relevant adaptive bits of information located in other parts of the brain helpful present-day perspectives get integrated so folks are able to move to a place where they're able to say and really believe, really feel, it's over. I'm safe now. I was only a kid doing the best that I could. It wasn't actually my fault, right? I'm in control now. I have choices. They're able to move the path into the past, And there are shifts for people in Thoughts and feelings and behaviors and physical sensations and healing involves spontaneous movement toward more positive thinking and more manageable feelings uh, and a significant reduction in the level of disturbance experienced in one's body.
0: I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with psychologist and author Dr. Deborah Korn about what a session like this might actually be like and what what sort of research has been done to prove how effective it can be for individuals who choose this as a type of psychotherapy. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking with Dr. Deborah Korn. She is a consultant, psychologist, teacher, author, and she's been on the faculty of the EMDR Institute for 28 years. Right before the break, we were talking about how EMDR might help people to help process some things that may have triggered them in ways in the past and help them to have a more positive ability to handle those situations should they get triggered in the future. I'm curious, you know, Dr. Korn, what would someone expect if they decided, okay, this is a type of, you mentioned, memory-focused psychotherapy that someone feels they could do very well with. If they were to see an EMDR practitioner, what would they expect? Is there certain equipment involved, or what What would that look like? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first of all, we do EMDR therapy in a regular old therapy office. You do it sitting up, sitting with your therapist. Um, there's a little bit of equipment that may be involved. I'll talk about that in a moment, but... Um, but for the most part, it you know, you're going to be sitting with a the therapist and you are going to be accompanied every step of the way. You're going to be guided um, every step of the way. In the early sessions, um, your therapist is going to take a thorough history and is going to come up with a treatment plan with you. You're going to work on establishing safety and trust within that therapeutic relationship. You're going to work on resourcing and skill building if needed to make sure that you are are ready to approach challenging emotional material. Now, most people don't show up for for therapy saying, I want to work on my traumatic memories from age five or age 12. Sometimes they do, but mostly people walk through our doors and say, I'm miserable, I'm having trouble coping, I'm having marital problems, I'm depressed, anxious, I have PTSD symptoms. We often begin with the client's current distress and float back looking for the roots of the distress we search for relevant memories to target Um, so i might ask somebody to describe what just happened yesterday or last week when they were symptomatic and we activate that in their bodies in their thoughts we activate it emotionally and then ask them to literally track back in their mind to the first time the earliest time the worst time they experienced something similar and once a target memory is identified we activate the memory through a series of questions, and then we introduce 30 to 60 second sets of eye movements or bilateral back and forth stimulation to jumpstart and support the brain stalled information processing system. Now, over the years we've discovered that other forms of what we call bilateral stimulation are also effective in reducing distress. We might have clients track our fingers with their eyes as the fingers move back and forth or track a light what we call on a light bar, track a light that moves back and forth, or we might have them listen to alternating tones, or we might tap back and forth on their hands as they rest them in their lap. And by the way, during the pandemic, we discovered that EMDR can be done virtually and with great success. Now, with every set of bilateral stimulation, the client is asked to simply notice what changes or emerges and to report. Images, thoughts, feelings, uh, sensations, impulses, insights. We encourage them to just notice, to be a passenger on a train just watching the scenery go by. Always staying connected to the present moment, just witnessing from a distance. We remind clients over and over, it's old stuff. And we stress the importance of what we call dual attention. That is keeping one foot in the present at all times while accessing the past. And every set of bilateral stimulation, with every set of bilateral stimulation, we ask, what do you get now? What do you notice? What's changing? Now, no two people process in the same way. There's no supposed tos, There's no shoulds. We just say whatever comes up, just let it come up. And basically, clients remember and process. They process fear, grief, anger, guilt, or shame. We work to keep the processing body focused asking again and again, where do you feel that? Just notice, it's just a memory. And in the course of processing, a client might imagine saying or doing what they never got to previously say or do, expressing their rage, running away, fighting back with superhuman strength. A client might also spontaneously see their younger self and offer some compassion or care imaginally. With, re, with reprocessing, um, a client's distress eventually decreases and relevant adaptive bits of information get integrated in. And as I said earlier, there's shifts in thoughts, feelings, behaviors, physical sensations. Um, the last thing I'll say is that EMDR is a comprehensive treatment approach. And what that means is we work on both Not both. We work on past traumatic events. We address current triggers. And ultimately, we help our clients prepare for the future. So if they have things that they've been avoiding, if they have goals that they want to initiate, if they want to be able to face certain things that have been triggering them in the recent past, we make sure that they are prepared To confront all of those situations and confront it with new beliefs, new feelings about themselves, and with a sense of mastery.
0: Well, I have to say, I think that it certainly sounds like it is, in some ways, a revolutionary treatment. It doesn't It doesn't require medication, it requires partnership with your therapist. And it's from the book that you have written, it has quite amazing success for those people for whom this is a a therapy that works for them. I think the statistics show quite a lot of success and you've gone through in the book a lot of different stories of how well this therapy can work. I do wanna mention the book is Every Memory Deserves Respect and Dr. Deborah Korn, I wanna thank you for being on the show with us today and sharing your expertise. People can find the book uh, through your website, on Amazon, wherever books are sold? Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, our website is the name of the book, everymemorydeservesrespect.com, and you'll find lots of information as well as links where you can purchase the book and where you can search for an EMDR therapist for yourself.
0: Well, I want to thank you again for sharing your expertise with us. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week when we continue to talk about health topics right here on The Body Show every Monday. We'll see you then.